www.guys.co.uk Network Radio. This week's guest is Gordon Smith, an outstandingly accurate medium. He is renowned for his ability to give exact names of people, places and even streets. The seventh son of a seventh son, Gordon travels around the world to appear before audiences. Gordon's extraordinary skills have attracted the attention of university scientists researching the paranormal and countless numbers of journalists and documentary makers. Just want to say a very warm welcome to Gordon Smith on the spiritguides.co.uk network radio. It's great to have you on here, um, Gordon. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be there. Thank you very much. Um, just before we get going, I've just got some things I just need to notify the listeners of. You've got a brand new website, is that right? I do. It's um, gordonsmithmedium.com. Okay, and um, and also I've been asked to mention you've got some book signings coming up as well in the near future. Yeah, I do. Um, I, do I always do book signings when I'm doing my theatre tour anyway, but right. I have a couple of book signings. One up in, um, I think it's Barrow and Furness, I'm doing a, a book signing, um, and one up in Clandidno. Okay, so is this your new book? Well, this book, this is the latest book, um, it's not brand new. Now, I did a tour with that um, uh, less than a year ago, it's called Why Do Bad Things Happen? Right. That's a good question, actually, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that I answered that. I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, how can you answer that in, a, in an optimistic way, to, you know, to give comfort to people? Well, I think the great thing for me was that I could show people that even though a lot of people that I encounter in my work as a medium, a lot of them have a terrible tragedy, but stand up and uh, actually turn their life around and become something even bigger and better in the face of death and loss and things. So so that was kind of the, the, the theme of it, was to show that, you know, bad things do happen in this life because we're human and bad things can happen to us. Some, they are our fault that we can change our ways and our behaviours and things and make it less painful. Some that are bigger than us, way above us, and there's not a damn thing we can do about them. Yeah, sure. Do you ascribe to the philosophy that there's certain obstacles that are kind of put in our way for us to learn from anyway? Oh, absolutely. And again, that is part of this book is about learning that, you know, where somebody sort of takes their eye off the ball, then something bad may happen that they don't see. So, I mean, it's, it's being responsible for your own life, your own path, you know, and, and basically not using God to blame. Most people who believe in a God or a creator blame that person or that God or that entity. You know, why did you take my child when basically, no, you weren't looking and the kid ran across the hood. You see, there's things that happen. That, that we can actually, if we are mindful enough, we can change. So, hopefully that, that the message is that if something happens like that in your life, it turns you around, it wakens you up. You know, that one of the big things for me in the book was, was a statement that I kept saying was wake up and smell the karma. You know, if somebody's a victim constantly of the same kind of circumstance that is negative, then at some point we have to look at it and think, am I creating this? Am I attracting it? Can one person constantly go through the exact same patterns and experience the same things year after year after year without waking up and actually recognising how can I change this? It's interesting because um, a, a few years ago I, I bought, I think it was your the CD, the CD uh, introduction to the spirit world. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of the first time that I'd really sort of was aware that you, you know, how philosophical you you actually are. And I think you made a point in that saying that you'd almost wish you were a philosopher. Oh, I think the teaching side of it, yeah, sorry, I think the teaching side, um, maybe more than the philosophical, is that, yeah, because so many people don't see the obvious, and and that's understandable because a lot of people really um, are so busy focused on where they're going that they forget where they are, and a lot of the times what clear, clear means is clear seeing, 
So I would assume that a lot of my job is to see the obvious, see clearly, and, and, and kind of direct people accordingly. I hope I do that. So do, do you see a lot of your own uh, pathway? Because is it common knowledge that you, if you're a medium, you don't generally read for yourself? Oh, no, well, you don't. I mean, I never do. But one of the, the development that I do, the, the, I feel like my own lessons in life, um, and I've been in the development group for 20-odd years now, and um, so therefore I have to take responsibility for my own actions. So I have to be awake and aware for me. Um, and I think when you do that, when you start to take responsibility for your own life, you know, some people out there will think, oh, well, I'll just keep praying to God or an angel or a guide or something like that. And they can, there's only so much guidance you can get without you having to take the reins of that journey. So part of my development is for me to actually take responsibility. And I don't always get it right. Very often I have to get the bad lesson before I actually wake up and think, could have done that one better. But where we grow spiritually is when we learn not to repeat the same mistakes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I was just having a quick look at your new website as well, and I was reading a dream on there. Um, I wasn't sure if it was a recent dream that you had, because I'm not sure how, you know, how often the, the content's updated. But the, the kind of crux of it was saying... Yeah, and you were saying about sort of, you know, doing hard work, you know, getting out there, doing yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. It was quite an important message. Do, I mean, do you Absolutely. see... Would you think that's a message that you wanted to give to other people? Because I couldn't help thinking, was it about you in that message? Like, do you think you're going to end up being big in America? I mean, are you big already? Over there. Well, I mean, I toured America for several years, but I mean, you have to do something exceptional to actually reach that size of audience. But recently, I have actually been out there doing um, pilots for different TV shows and things. So, um, if that's my destiny, and funnily enough, these things happened since I had that dream. And um, to, it was right after I had that dream, I actually had a phone call from a, an American TV company asking if I'd come out and make a pilot, which I have done, and now they want me to go back. So, to me, if you can touch the mass masses like that, you know, then, wow, then that message is going to mega millions. And, and that, that would be a great, significant thing for me to be able to do. Because the more builder I get, the more it is a teaching rather than just a demonstration of mediumship. Because mm. so sort of looking back at the, there was a, a documentary on... Um I think it was on one of the mainstream channels. I'm not. I can't remember if it's BBC or ITV. It's called the Psychic Barber. Um, yeah. Was, BBC. Yeah. And is that kind of what really got you into the sort of spotlight in the mainstream doing that? Um, yeah, I probably. I mean, before that, I toured anyway, doing demonstrations of mediumship. But it was the f- it wasn't the first TV thing I'd done, but it was the first one that went kind of nationwide, and they sort of repeated it, and it got really good feedback from the public. And one of the amazing things about that particular documentary was the amount of men that actually tuned into it and the amount of men that would come and see me work after that went out. Yeah. And I think that happened because there was a, a little bit of science in it that men love science. Mm. So when they would actually see that, oh, here's this medium guy. I was in the university taking part in tests and they loved it. The guys just were like, well, you actually got up and did those tests. And I said, yes, yeah, why wouldn't I? Yeah. And yeah. of course, the tests were really good. They, they concluded pretty well on the program. So I think that got a lot of men. Because men like to see proof. So even, even you know, whatever else I was doing, they were actually looking at the science behind it and thinking, well, this medium's not afraid to put himself out there and have a challenge. And uh, as I said, the, the results were good. So that got people hooked. And I think that actually made people very interested because I wasn't afraid to take a challenge. 
Yeah. I mean, also, it was a, it's a fair size audience when I was watching that show. So, I mean, you was obviously very big in what you were doing. Um, I mean, for me, when I watched it, I remember sort of casting my mind back. It really sort of got my imagination going, thinking, this guy is so accurate. He's not, you know, like a household name that I've heard of already. But he's, he seems to just... Because the one thing that um, is always really sketchy when you hear mediums talking is giving concrete names that seem to be so spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there, there is a difference, though. I mean, when some people... I mean, I've been offered probably more television than all the mediums that are on it right now. And I, I just refused a lot of it because it was too show business or you had to jump through certain loops, um, which I would say, no, I'm not going to do that. Hmm. You see? So because, to me, you had to keep your integrity... Yeah, and if you if you lost your integrity, then yeah, I mean, I, as I say, Channel Four have asked me to go and do challenge programs with Darren Brown, ITV, BBC, both have offered me very clever programs, but each one would have to be filmed in ways that I wouldn't be happy because it wouldn't be live. Mm. And the way I work best is when I'm filmed live because that's that's the best way to work for me. So uh, in front of a studio audience, we have to keep cutting, cutting, cutting. Can we do that again? Well, I'm afraid if I don't do my thing in the moment, it won't work again. I couldn't go up and repeat it a second. So, I mean, I, I'm really kind of fair with TV people when I tell them that up front, and a lot of them think, oh, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, you mean you can't do it to order? And I'll say, no, honestly, I can't. So, yeah. So, at the top, was you balancing the, the hairdressing still at that time? Um, at that time, yeah. And, and I mean, I'm no longer cutting hair. I mean, I, I now have written eight books, and I tour a lot of my books and, and the theatre tours and things. But, I mean, then, the hairdressing was my life. Mm. So... And, and that, that, that was something that a lot of people really couldn't understand, that I could actually do all of this, tour America, tour Australia, tour South Africa, tour this country and still cut hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, the barber shop that you worked in must be extremely grateful for the custom that you brought through the door. <laughs> well, it was my own salon. Oh, was so, it really? Yeah, okay. I, I was. Yes, I was. But that became quite ridiculous at a point because many people who saw the TV programmes would come to the salon um, looking for readings, and, I, and, and of course, th that title that the BBC dubbed me, The Psychic Barber, didn't do me a lot of favours. Mm. It meant people would think I would cut their hair and do a reading, <laughs> God. which I never, ever did in my life once, in 23 mm. years of cutting hair once. But. Yeah, okay. So just sort of going back, um, I was reading here that he says that you were 24 when you suddenly um, awakened yeah. to, to the gifts that yeah. you had, basically. Um, and yeah. That was one of your friend's brother... Turn yeah, up the brain died, yep. yeah. I mean, to, before that, did you have no kind of nothing before that? Was it just a, a switch and that was it? No, definitely, I did. When I was a kid, I had many, many episodes um, as a young child. Funnily enough, in my teenage years, it kind of went away. Um, but looking back over that, I think teenagers are kind of ruled by another god anyway. It's kind of mm. weird phase. But no, all through my childhood, and then nothing in my teenage years, and then. I was in my early 20s, just before that happened with Brian, there was a couple of things starting to just turn up. So, you know, I had had some kind of, I don't know, special episodes when I was young and growing up. So, so I mean, how did that make you feel then when that, when that suddenly happened to you? Was it something that you could easily accept into your own uh, awareness, if you like? Or was it kind of a bit of a shock? No, it was a shock. Um, it was a shock in, in one sense, but in another sense, the way that happened when Christine's brother appeared, my friend had just lost her, her brother, who was her life, because her mother had already died. And, uh, I mean, we were so linked. We, worked, we went to school together. We worked together in the hairdressers. We lived so close to one another. 
And so, I mean, I wasn't really concerned much about me or any psychic things happening. I was actually really at that time looking after my friend a lot. And things were happening. And she was the one that asked me to take her to a medium, which I thought was a dangerous thing. I had no idea what that was. Right. And I, I was like, what do you mean there's actual places where these people practice? I thought it was some kind of occult thing she wanted to go to. But when I realised there was a, there was churches. Yeah. Um, and people, the actual people sang hymns and did prayers and all that. And I thought, okay. So when I took her there and the first message that came through was the medium saying to Christine, oh my God, she says, you've lost someone, but the guy sitting next to you is a medium and he's seen him. And she just looked at me and she's like, this woman's crazy. And I did too. I'm thinking, okay, I did see him, but I can't tell her. Because I didn't want to add to her grief. I mean, I was trying to do the common sense thing of like, okay, just let's try and get her through the grief, you know, with it, adding things to it. So. Uh, like a kind of crazy first night in the spiritualist church and, and after that I kind of did go back and have a look at it and examined it quite thoroughly and thought actually these people some of them are really pretty normal <laughs> and um, some of them went <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay yeah. every, every, every organisation has its fringe <laughs> well it seems to be more and more people sort of waking up and, and having these sorts of abilities aren't they I mean yes, there's there's different words being banded around in, you know, sort of the spiritual or new yeah. age movement, whether you've got like awakening, ascension, or just a yeah. shift in consciousness. But, I mean, what are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I do think it's just a sign of the times and that people are more cerebral anyway, because, I mean, if you look at the, the, the workforce in, in, in most countries, right, in most advanced countries, everything is to do with the mind, very little is to do with the body. So people, by their nature, we are evolving into our minds. And that is where a lot of this stuff happens, very subliminal stuff, stuff that would once have been dreamt of is now becoming real. Um, so it's almost very etheric, the way people think. And children even more so. Children who would run out about for hours and play in a street or a backyard are now stuck in front of things where their head is, is, is the control and making them think. So everything is rising a level. The, the, the heavy physical manual thing is starting to go and get less and less and less. So we are actually becoming more thinking beings than, than doing, than active, physically active beings. So I think it's just the way things should be. You know, and people people make a big deal of something when they find it kind of out of the blue. It's like anybody who finds religion for the first time or angels or anything that inspires, they think they're the only people in the world who know it. And they start to try and convince everybody. Hmm. <laughs> and, and it gets quite annoying. You're like, shut up. We know about this. Be quiet. So they become like spiritual children, if you like, even, even adults. And very often, that's the way I look at it, is that a lot of these people are just like a child that's found something, wow, that's my niche. Oh my God, I've found this. There's a truth here that I never realised. So that, that is quite amazing, and I love when it happens. I, mean, I, think, I think people like myself, and there's a lot of mediums out there, and not just mediums, different healers and people with different kind of backgrounds and um, very varied who are waiting just to teach these people who are becoming awake. And uh, I think that's why maybe my generation, uh, I mean, I'm now nearly 50, and a lot of the mediums that I developed with, most of them are on TV or doing something like that, we're all quite good friends. And um, we all notice that when we travel and do seminars and things, that it's a similar type of audience that's traveling everywhere with us, all over the world. Yeah. People who are waking up. And, and that's, that's a good thing. That is a really, really good thing. Yeah, it's it's really really good because I mean, yeah. do you do you see the the marriage of sort of spirituality and science coming together more? I mean, I, I certainly feel it is. I mean, have you seen this? Yeah, I mean, 
that's what that's what it should be to me. Like you know, if religion was that kind of uh, father figure of spirituality in, in the olden days and dark ages and coming right through into the Victorian times, well, now science is from the turn of the last century. I would say science and all that stuff is actually taking over, and that's why I'm quite happy to work with scientists. Quite happy to have a go at it. When it's serious scientists, I don't just mean some little geezer who's a biologist who says, let me put you behind the screen and see if you can guess this. I mean, when there's proper protocol and, and there's a reason for it, and it'll be written up for science papers, then yes, I'm happy to take part in anything. Because I do believe that if people like me do that, then it's going to give people a much better indication as to how it works. Yeah. You know, so, so and, and I think science by its nature is about expanding consciousness and I would say that spirituality is about expanding consciousness. At some point they've got to meet, you know, and I think they can only meet when you take out the governing bodies like societies that say you're not allowed this, not allowed that, or religious bodies that say you're not allowed that or this, when it actually becomes that it's, that it's okay that you can actually do something out with the, the orthodoxy. Then science, I think, well, well, it's getting a much better voice as it is anyway, and that's that's good. There seems to be signs within some other in, in Orthodox religion, especially the, the Catholic one uh, recently. Yeah, they seem to be coming out saying that they believe in you know life elsewhere and stuff like that. So it's got all pushing in the right direction, you know, probably yeah. kicking and screaming. <laughs> we should be probably always dead though, mm. um, and it just depends. I mean, the, the crazy thing about religion is that. Whoever is at the top of it, whichever man or woman who would be at the top of any particular religion, would have the say on things. So they are kind of spokespeople for the higher order, and that's just not good. So the good thing is, is that I think religious leaders now have to talk and think, please, we better get in line with us. If we don't, we're going to lose out. I guess, yeah. So, but the, the real spirituality will happen regardless of what religions and that say. It really will. It's more powerful than any man or any man-made organisation will ever be. So. Sure. So have you worked with Gary Schwartz? Have you heard of Gary Schwartz? I know who Gary is, but no, I haven't. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I know who he is. He did a lot of tests in the US. The people I worked with here, they, they did tests long before Gary. Um, and uh, the protocol we had was much tighter because, sadly, a lot of the tests Gary did, he got criticised a lot for... Hmm. Well, he never followed the correct protocol, things like the mediums would be allowed to walk about a corridor somewhere um, and stuff like that, even though there was nothing that they cheated in. But the, the sceptic can say if they weren't controlled properly then, da 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 So all these things you have to know. Um, it's amazing what people will accuse you of, honestly. The better you get at it, the more exact you are, people will say, oh, well, he just cheated. You know, yeah. <laughs> quite ridiculous. But uh, as I say, somebody like Gary has a lovely man, and uh, I believe, and, and somebody who's so interested in trying to prove that there is something much more kind of otherly, a sense of something strange is out there and we need to find out what that is. I'm sure we'll, we'll get there. There's a lady on uh, last week, Hazel Courtney, and she's been working with a lot of these um, scientists and stuff. And she, I mean, she made a quote on the last show that um, it's, whether it's now or very soon, it'd be down to the sceptics to prove there isn't an afterlife, you know, the way things are sort of going. So yeah. it's really encouraging. To be fair, it's always been that. It's always been that way. They just, they've never had that answer. To me, scepticism is a safe place to be. Because you neither need to say yes or no to anything. You're asking for truth constantly sometimes when you're sceptical. And, and they're the ones that are frightened, really. They're fr you know, somebody once said, I think it was Marianne Williamson, that wrote, our deepest fear is not that we're insignificant. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. 
Now, anybody who is sceptical is really, really tacking themselves to take the responsibility for their own life. So if there's something bigger than us that we are, then they don't want that. And it's like, prove it, prove it, prove it. They're just fighting little kids, I'm afraid. And uh, I've had so many dealings with them. Mm. And they are, at the end of the day. And do you know what's sad? A lot of the TV ones that I've worked with, behind the scenes, I'll say, Gordon, do me a favour, do us a reading, would you? I mean, I totally believe in what you do, but I can't say that on telly. And that's, that's, that's most annoying. You know, you think, oh, yeah, okay. But I don't tell anybody, did it? <laughs> of course. You know. And it really does annoy me, I think. Come on, guys, give us a break. Some of them do. Some of them are pretty cool about it. But no, there's a few there that are really, really... And the one in particular is making millions at the moment on telly. And honestly, this guy really, you know, can throw a lot of his bad patches with phone me. And I'd say, you're still slagging people at me off. What are you doing, mate? <laughs> you know. Anyway, you guys come up. And it's not, not that I do that. It's just life itself. Dame Karma is a strict mistress, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what you you know, you guys are very, very brave to put yourself out there. I mean, to, yeah. to be in front of the audiences that you are, putting yourself out on the limb, giving amazing evidence with names as well. Um, you yeah, know, I, I, I mean, I, I know people saying so. I've, I've given it a go myself in the past, and one of the hardest yeah. things to do is to give off something when it's so yeah. accurate because you can get sh- so shot down for it if it's wrong, can't you? Totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's the main thing that people sort of come into you now? I mean, I know you don't do one to ones. I'm sure you'd be too busy for that. But when you're doing your shows and workshops, I mean, have you has the economic um, situation had an impact on what people are seeking and asking? Um, not well, what I do. I mean, first of all, I still do loads of one to ones, but I don't charge for it, and I never have done. And uh, I do that my own way, and I have people come to me through my own means, and it's only people who have had a loss. That's all I'll see when it, and it's a one-to-one. Um, and the stage situation when we're doing the theatre, then, no, whoever comes along with that, I think everybody was hit a bit by the credit crunch and all that stuff. But, no, the numbers of the shows are starting to really pick up. And and that's good. And I think as well, I mean, a lot of the comediums come and go. I mean, I've been touring this for the last 15 years. <laughs> I'm still doing it. And the great thing for me is I will keep doing that. So, you see, like you can get shot on living TV for a year or two and then you disappear. Yeah, Whereas, that's right. You know, to me, somebody once says to me years ago, do you want to do this for 30 years of bronze or a year of gold? I said, I'll take the 30 years of bronze if you don't mind. Yeah. So, and, and I'm quite happy to do that because to me, it's a message that's really important. And I know I can do this. I, I come alive when, it, when I'm asked to do it for real on stage or whatever. Mm. And, um, and that's, that's, that's how I'll always be. I, I'll never change that. You know, so and I refuse to for money for anything. And people say, "Oh, so and so." I mean, I remember Channel Four offered me something like twenty grand to do a half hour with um, James Randi on telly. I said, "I'm so stupid. Why would I give that man a platform?" <laughs> I said, he might need the work. I certainly don't. And honestly, I mean, I say that because these people assume because he goes on and, and criticises people that he's right. He's not. But the thing is, if I'd gone and do that with him, I, the, the stakes that I set with him, I've recently done it with Darren Brown. Right, Darren, you want to do me to do your test? You've got to do mine, and that's a fair show. What do you think? No, they can't do it. They won't do it. No. Because if you take away their researchers and things, they can't do it. And Darren Brown, I'm sure he will admit, well, you'll have to admit it. You know, I've had very frank conversations about this. You know, you, you come and do my test, and I'll certainly I'm happy to do yours, because what you call a test is what I do every night. It's not a test. But what I'm doing for you is a test because you're going in blind, mate. No researchers, no nothing, and just what you say you do, and he doesn't. 
So that was another one that was blown out the water again. But you know what? I'm quite happy to do any of the tests. As long as I want to do it, mine. So I do the same thing with no cheating, no prepared audiences and things like that. Then I'm quite happy to take them on at it. But the thing is, they're the ones who are reluctant, not me. Okay, okay. Yeah, just I mean another question I wanted to ask you uh, there as well, uh, and maybe I didn't ask it correctly. Was um, was more around uh, uh, you know people are put, you know when when people are sort of going through harsh times like they don't have money, yeah. they're worried about the future. Are you seeing more and more people come to mediums like yourself um, to find out what's happening? You know what's going to happen? In the- yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's there's, there's a great big note of uncertainty above people at the moment, and I think they come along to people like me looking for hope, looking for direction. Um, and a lot of people who you would never normally put in that situation. Yeah, I would have to say that the figures in that are way up. Yeah. How do, how do you feel about the future? Are you optimistic about things? Absolutely. Yeah, I once asked my own spirit guide, so what's going to happen after 2012? And he told me, quite frankly, 2013, maybe worried about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Worried yeah. About. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think the whole 2012 thing. There's so many different philosophies. Whether it's going to be doomsday, yeah. we're going to get beamed off into spaceships. Nothing. Um, nothing. But nothing like that I think it's more around just a growing awareness and consciousness, isn't it? Really, what yeah. we're doing now, slowly and. It's all it is. And that's just a, that's just a point. You know how many of these points have been predicted through time? There's been so many of them. It's going to be 1990, 1984, 92, the year 2000, and so on and so forth. There's so many calendars, ancient calendars, predicting this, predicting that, and predicting the next thing. What happens is nothing. <laughs> nothing really changes. <laughs> and remember, we can create something happening by mass millions of mind concentrating on the one thing. Hmm. So if everybody's concentrating on a fearful thing happening, so maybe something happens, an earthquake, a tsunami, and people go, oh my God, it's going to happen anyway. You know. I mean, just one last thing, uh, an interesting thing you spoke about in your philosophy on introduction to the spirit world was that you were trying to uh, guide people in that they shouldn't focus on having too many guides and that we really should think about our own higher self. And that, I found that a very spiritual, open-minded approach to things. Well, again, spirit guides can become crutches. You know, the whole idea of it growing spiritually is about growing yourself. And we, yes, we have spirit guidance, but when, when we can broaden our mind enough to see that we ourselves have a higher, higher self, higher consciousness, that we have to connect at some point, that higher consciousness is where the guides connect to us and all that stuff and whatnot. So instead of creating more personalities, which guides become, like I was a North American Indian or an Oriental man who was very wise or none or whatever, all these archetypes, they're just other things you're creating. And spirit will be whatever you want them to be or need them to be in order to get through to you. But ultimately they are guiding you to one ultimate thing and that is you. So when when you recognise you are the spirit, you think, Wow then then there's really nothing you fear from a spiritual perspective. Nothing can physically can really bother you. So do you see so, do you see it as like, you know, once you, you you still have guides there, but once you sort of go past that, you can almost uh, guide yourself once you're in tune with your own higher being? I would assume so. But I wouldn't be so presumptuous to try and second guess what happened at a particular level. That is then supposition. Based on what I know and through spiritual experience, I would say that each one of us are spiritual enough when we realise it to be given the um, guidance to our own life. 
No, indeed. It's almost when, when you're in the flow of things, things go right, you feel really, really yeah. good. And it's all about yeah. how we react to situations, isn't it? That's the most totally. important thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you look at it that way. If somebody, I mean, if you put it on something as, as, as lowly as people who see auras, the people who see auras would say that, oh my goodness, that guy's really happy, his aura's really bright, blah, 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 there's a woman over there who's no aura, she's dying, she's ill. So we are more spiritualized. Our spirituality is expanding when we are joyous and when we are without fear. But when we are fear-filled and when we are in a, a stage of, of change like that, a terrible state of change where we are afraid of death or dying or something, then our aura retracts right back into us. So we are, we are becoming more dense, more healing at that point. So the whole idea is to always be as spiritualized as you can allow yourself to be. So even in bad situations, look at them and think, how bad is this actually? Yeah. You know, is it, it's what your mind does with information that causes a heck of a lot of the, the actual um, fear and, and kind of, you know, pulling it back to being human as opposed to as expanding and going forward and being more spiritual. Yeah. Okay, um, do you? Because you trained with Albert Best as well, didn't you? Well, Albert was my friend. Yeah, yeah. He was a good friend of me. I mean, do you, do you? I mean, having the abilities that you do, do you still have connections with those that have passed on? Yeah, I mean, I, I always do. I mean, not that I would go looking for Albert, but sometimes he comes up when I'm doing work, um, and and I'll know by the nature of the message that Albert's helping me. Uh, I I just feel his presence sometimes. But not all the time. I mean, Albert's got his own things to do over there. And it's a pleasure. It's an honour when he turns up. I just feel his presence. And I think, well, Albert's here. That's amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, just one last question before we go, because I know we're sort of uh, sure. on the half an hour point here. Um, yep. Because one of the big things that I've seen with mediums, they, this, the whole concept of the seventh son of the seventh son. Yeah. I mean, it seems uncannily true, though. It happens, isn't it? I mean, have you ever yeah. sort of questioned why that happens? Um... I, I honestly haven't, and I haven't read much or looked into it much. Being Scottish, uh, then, yeah, there are places and people in Scotland who live by such things. It's very pagan, mm. um, very Celtic kind of thing to, to, you know, be a seventh son of a seventh son. And you were either a healer or a seer or something, you would have a gift. And um, it wasn't until I was much older that I, I recognised that. We were doing, looking through my dad's family, and I thought, Dad, you're seven. And uh, he says, yeah, and I said, well, so am I. <laughs> and he says, oh, I remember some Irish woman when you were being born, some midwife thing. Oh, he's got to be special because he's the seventh son of a seventh son. And, um, of course, nobody paid any attention much to that. Yeah. But, but it just shows you the synchronicities, though, in life, doesn't it? You know, like, yeah. you're meant to do that. You know, the, the astronomy yeah. of it, even. You know, the universe speaking to you like that. It's incredible. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the thing that always really pleases me more than that is that I have the same birthday as the Dalai Lama. But to me, that's more synchronistic and more special. <laughs> oh, that would be cool. Fantastic. Cool, so. Okay. Brilliant. All right, so just before we go, is there anything that you want to uh, give out? Any sort of dates or anything, uh, events or anything? Well, do you know, not really, because it's all on my website. People go to gordonsmithmedium.com. Yeah, and to be it. honest, I'm the worst self-publisher you'll ever meet in your life. I, I forget to promote books and all that <laughs> when I'm on stage because I'm not there to do that. I'm... I'm there to give messages, so I think those are always meant to come and turn up. Yeah. That was pretty decent, so. Cool. But thank you very much for that offer. Okay, nice. For, uh, you're most welcome, and uh, thank you for coming on. No problem. Okay. Take care. Take care, Gordon. God Bye. bless, and good luck with everything you're doing. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.